as you can probably tell, I have a bit of a cold. Everyone around me had a cold, so I loaded up on zinc, vitamin C, echinacea, and danin yogurt to boost my immune system. And man, did I get a whopping cold. Such is life. Anyway, welcome to QuackCast 31. This QuackCast is, I'm sure aware, a skeptical and sarcastic evaluation of quacks, frauds, and charlatans. Oops, sorry, got it wrong again. I mean supplements, alternative, and complementary medicine, or scams. This podcast is being done in April 2009. It's going to cover the greening of alternative medicines. This is brought to you as a side project of Puswell LLC, the publisher of the Persiflazer's Annotated Compendium of Infectious Disease Facts, Opinion, and Dogma. Your Uber hyperlinked electronic guide to infectious diseases available at pusware.com, where you will find more Mark Chrislop. You will find my infectious disease guide, the Persiflager's Puscasts, a bi-weekly review of infectious diseases with CME, I might add, as well as Rubor, Dolor, Kalor, Tumor, my blog on infectious diseases. Now, as Thomas Jefferson said in a different context, ridicule is the only weapon that can be used against unintelligible proposition. Ideas must be distinct before reason can act upon them. So this will have some evidence-based ridicule. References are available on the website, quackcast.com, as well as podcasts in the MP3 format, in the M4A format, but not the LSMFT format. So on to the meat of the matter, or for your vegans out there, on to the legumes of the matter. No good deed ever goes unpunished. The website, whatstheharm.net, is a depressing recitation of the harm that humans do to themselves and others from participating in various forms of nonsense in an attempt to do good for themselves and others. It backfires, and instead of health and happiness, pain and death result. What's the harm is the woo equivalent of the Darwin Awards. Now I would bet that most practitioners of medical woo are true believers. They do not intend to harm people, and they believe they are doing good for their patients. Certainly the consumers of alternative therapies intend to have good outcomes and benefits from their use of alternative health care. Most do not intend to hurt themselves, or certainly not hurt other people. Unfortunately, the most evil is often done by them what think they are doing the most good. W, as best as I can tell, never thought he was doing bad things. But you know the old saying, the road to a trashed economy in an endless war is paved with good intentions, or something like that. So let's take a walk down that pyrite brick road and see what variations of hell we can find. Unfortunately, actions always have unintended consequences. It is true in medicine, and it is true in woo. Boy, I do like to rhyme. I need to be a rapper someday. Anyway, sometimes the harm is directly to the patient. Sometimes the harm is indirect with collateral damage to people, as we will see later. Or, in the first part of this podcast, there is damage to the environment. My hospitals have an extensive recycling program to handle the huge amounts of waste generated by the need to maximally wrap all manner of material to ensure their sterility. That's the material, not the patients. Patients in isolation consume large amounts of paper and plastic to help keep infection confined. 
My hospitals actively look for ways to decrease their environmental impact and carbon footprint and still deliver high-quality medical care. Legacy Health System, where I work, is a leader in recycling medical waste, which is a lot more difficult to dispose of than pop cans and paper bags in your house. Hopefully the trash in your house is not covered with pus, blood, and other potentially hazardous medical waste. Unless, of course, it's the Hannibal Lecter household that is listening to this podcast. In which case, might I suggest, put the fava beans in one container, the liver in another. In the Pacific Northwest, we try to be good global citizens. But I wonder if some branches of the alternative medical industrial complex are so environmentally conscious. Natural products are at great risk for being adversely affected by increased demand for their use. If tens of millions of people want a natural product that has a limited supply, soon that product will be exhausted and then the product extinct. Adverse effects from alternative therapies can come in many forms, and the alternative practice with the greatest adverse impact on the environment is, I would wager, traditional Chinese medicine occasionally referred to in this podcast as TCM, which really should stand for Transcend Chinese Medicine. By the way, do you know when the Maharishi went to the dentist, he refused Novocaine? Because he wanted to transcend dental medication. Thank you, thank you. I'll be here all week. Now, billions of people use TCM, and they demand the real thing, the natural product, not Coke, but traditional herbal and animal products. And if you have a billion or more people wanting these traditional herbal or animal products, it is going to have a detrimental effect on the herb or animal being consumed. I'm going to pronounce it herb during this podcast for our British listeners. In America, we tend to pronounce it herb. There are unfortunately numerous examples of the adverse effect of traditional Chinese medicine on the environment. And we will start, as we should, with the rhinoceroceros. For years, rhinoceroses were not hunted for food or for sport, but for the horn. There is a form of magical thinking that derives function from the structure of some natural product. If an animal part resembles an animal body part, it must have therapeutic effects upon that human body part. Why the pharmaceutical companies don't take advantage of this widespread belief, I am not certain. They could probably increase sales if they made their cardiac medications look like a little heart, and asthma medication look like a little lung, Viagra look like, well, you get the idea. And this brings us as the master of the segue to the rhino horn. It looks like a penis, I guess. I must have not been paying close attention in my urology rotation to normal variation. But since it looks like a penis, the rhino horn is ground up to treat impotence. For centuries, it was the insight of the world. But the rhino horn is more than an aphrodisiac. Practitioners of TCM are not stupid. Oh, no. For although the rhino horn is no more than a fingernail with some extra calcium and phosphorus, the horn has been used in Chinese medicine to treat damn near anything. Now, I will note here that trying to determine what a given Chinese preparation is really used for is an exercise in frustration. And, as best I can determine, there are as many uses for each TCM preparation as there are practitioners of TCM. I quote here from a Chinese medicine book, quote, It, rhino horn, should not be taken by pregnant woman. It will kill the fetus. As an antidote to poison, 
In Europe, who are just as stupid as the Chinese, it was said to fall to pieces if poison were poured into it, to cure devil possession and to keep away all evil spirits and miasmas, for jasmine poisoning and snake poisoning, to remove hallucinations and bewitching nightmares. Continuous administration lightens the body and makes one very robust, for typhoid, for headache, and feverish colds, an oxymoron, for carbuncles and boils full of pus, as opposed to the boils with no pus, for intermittent fevers with delirium, to expel fear and anxiety, to calm the liver, I prefer beer, and clear the vision. It is a sedative to the viscera, a tonic, it's a sedative and a tonic, mind you, and an antipyretic. It dissolves phlegm, which is a problem in my house with a big phlegm buildup. It is an antidote to the evil miasma of hill streams, for infantile convulsions and dysentery, ashed and taken with water to treat violent vomiting, food poisoning, and overdosage of poisonous drugs, for arthritis, or as they pronounce it in the ads, arthritis, melancholia, loss of voice. Ground up into a paste with water, it is given for hematemesis, epistaxis, rectal bleeding, heavy smallpox, etc. End quote. I like that etc. at the end. And I thought bare aspirin was the wonder drug that worked wonders. With all the alleged benefits of consuming rhinohorn, all with no biologic plausibility whatsoever, it is no wonder that despite the advent of Viagra and its cousin, the rhino is still being hunted for its horn. A century ago, there were one million black rhinos in Africa. Now there are 2,500 and the population is falling. A horn fetches $500 or more in a continent where the average farmer makes $1.50 a day. On the international market, a horn can get $10,000 for a kilogram, or maybe a kilogram. No wonder the rhino is hunted to near extinction. The fact that they have no medicinal benefit does not prevent the harvesting of the rhino. All species eventually become extinct, but to become extinct because of dumbass medical woo is particularly depressing. I can just see an interview at the beginning of the world with the rhino god. Parenthetical statement. Read Neil Gaiman's The Nancy Brothers in parenthetical statement. So tell me, why was your species relentlessly hunted to extinction? Answer? Uh, as an antidote to the evil miasma of hill streams. Now, rhinos are not the only animal disappearing due to the relentless harvesting of animal parts for worthless therapies. How's about them tigers, or as you poo fans would call them, tiggers? In 1900, there were 100,000 tigers in India. Now there are less than 5,000. China now has under 100 tigers, as they are hunted, killed, and chopped up into their constituent parts for innumerable worthless medical therapies, including but not limited to, quote, a tiger's penis soaked in alcohol is said to increase virility, not of the tiger. Its nose suspended over the marriage bed is believed to increase the chance of having a boy, and its whiskers, not the boy, the tiger, are said to cure toothache, end quote. And they love those tiger bones, something I've noticed that a tiger cannot live without as a treatment for arthritis or arthritis often served as tiger bone wine. Me, I prefer a good French Bordeaux. And I don't notice my joints aching after half a bottle. 
It is estimated that 14% of the U.S. has some form of arthritis, and if the numbers are true for China, that means there are probably at least 172 million potential customers for Tiger Bones. And there are also many outside of China who would use the therapy as well. That's a lot of Tiger Bones. It is no wonder Tiger Bones go for $400 a kilo, and each tiger only has about 4.5 kilos of bone in them. Quote, the usual dosage for tiger bone taken orally to treat rheumatic pain is 3 to 6 grams daily. At this rate, a daily user of tiger bone would consume 1 to 2 kilos of bone per year. Extrapolated further, the world's remaining tigers would provide, at most, a year's supply of, quote, medicine, unquote, to 125,800 daily users, the equivalent of far less than even 1% of China's human population. That would be about a third a tiger per person per year. And this is not a minor problem. Quote, more than 150,000 over-the-counter traditional Chinese medicines containing or purporting to contain tiger bone and parts from other critically endangered species are sold in the United States. End quote. Support traditional Chinese medicine and you are indirectly supporting the extinction of Reiner's, Reiner's? Carl Reiner. You know, he's now dead. That's rhinos, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. Quote, in traditional clinical practice, bear bile was used for fever-fighting, detoxification, inflammation, swelling, and pain reduction. It is also used in the cure of carbuncle of the heat type, pyocutaneous diseases, hemorrhoids, overabundance of liver fire. I have that problem. Convulsion caused by the overabundance of heat, epilepsy, tick, and the redness of eyes due to liver heat, etc. End quote. Rather than hunt bears, farmers keep bears in cages with a catheter in their gallbladder where they drain the bile-like sap from a maple tree. It is not a good life for the bear and often fatal. The Chinese and Vietnamese have hundreds of farms with thousands of bears. Now, there is an active ingredient in bear bile, urodeoxycholic acid, that dissolves gallstones. It can be and is synthesized for human use. Oddly enough, the natural product is considered superior to the synthesized molecule, and so the bear drainage continues and the bear population in China continues to dwindle to supply bear for the farms. Now, I never thought I would ever agree with PETA on anything. But torturing bears for bile that does nothing or has a synthetic equivalent hardly seems like the ethical treatment of an animal. The Humane Society description of bear bile harvesting does not sound particularly pleasant for the bear, which has its bile milked without the benefit of anesthesia. Quote, an unsterile latex or stainless steel catheter is inserted through an external fistula directly into the gallbladder of each bear to drain the fluid daily, either by gravity into a tray or by suction with an unsterile syringe. This extraction method was called the free-dripping fistula technique, which sounds like a form of kung fu, but isn't. The bear was then dried and manufactured as bear bile powder, bear bile extraction, the bears suffer extreme pain daily due to the extractions. Many die from infections, surprisingly gallbladder infections, and chronic infections caused by the foreign bodies and their open wounds, end quote. Besides bear farms, bears are illegally hunted for their gallbladders all over the world. 
If you're interested, the usual dose of bear bile is 0.25 to 2.5 grams taken as a pill or a powder. Given that the average bear can only make 20 to 40 milliliters a day of bile, it takes a lot of bears to provide the required bile. Prices vary, but bear bile can go for $1,000 for 250 cc's. In beer talk, that would be about half a pint. Quote, in 1970, one kilo of beer, <laughs> beer, bear gallbladder cost around $200. But by 1990, the price had risen to 3000 to 5000 per kilogram. If you can get your bear bile certified, it can go for thirty dollars to $50,000 a kilo, which seems excessive, but that's what I find on the interwebs. There's considerable financial incentive to hunt bears to extinction to provide worthless medications. Now, have you noticed all the forest fires the last few seasons? Have you seen any Smokey the Bear ads? No. Smokey and his gallbladder were used to treat an overabundance of liver fire. And the U.S. burns instead. Lest you think the Chinese are the only culture that uses nonsense to drive animals into extinction, remember the shark. 100 million sharks are killed every year. Some are killed as a byproduct of fishing, some for food, some for shark's fin soup, and some for medication. Now, somewhere along the line, it was mistakenly thought that sharks do not get cancer. They do get cancer. They even get cancer of the cartilage, albeit not very frequently. Just like humans, by the way. Cartilage cancer causes maybe 2,500 cases a year of cancer in the United States, out of 1.4 million new cases a year of cancer? Given the rarity of human cartilage cancer, perhaps we should eat human cartilage. It's my understanding that Idi Amin never developed cancer. Now, the real proponent for this has been William Lane, FUD, who's been the motivating force behind the idea that shark cartilage can produce and treat cancer, publishing books on the topic and selling shark products. Again, there is no good reason to suggest that shark cartilage has any anti-tumor effects, although some data in the lab suggests it inhibits the formation of new blood vessels, which is needed to support tumor growth. However, clinical trials looking for efficacy of shark cartilage in the treatment of cancer have been negative. Shark cartilage has no effect against cancer. But the end result of all this nonsense has been to help push at least 126 shark species towards extinction. Now, if you do a Google search of the interwebs looking for shark cartilage, you find that many organic natural online pharmacies sell shark cartilage. I bet you your local natural pharmacy does as well. I suppose extinction is natural and organic as all species become extinct. And supporting and profiteering from the extinction of animal species is also natural and organic. So, who cares if jaws are going extinct? How's about other animals? Let's go through some. The Saiga, S-A-I-G-A, antelope. Saiga, antelope. These animals have been hunted for their horns, which are used to treat stroke, colds, high blood pressure, and, since rhino horn is both expensive and rare, a cheaper alternative to rhino horn. Because of the protection of the rhino combined with their tiny numbers, the practitioners of TCM have had to find other species to decimate for their useless medical therapies. 
As a result, the numbers of Segas have gone from 1 million to 300,000, taking all the game consoles with them. It is the real reason you can no longer find and purchase a Sega Dreamcast. Turtles and Tortoises Half of the 90 turtle species in Southeast Asia are endangered due to the demand in China for turtle meat and traditional medicines. Quote, the World Conservation Fund has documented the rapid decline in the last few years of the Chinese three-striped box turtle, whose fat, used in soup and jelly, is believed to cure cancer. Only a few colonies of the once-abundant turtle now survive in the wild. End quote. Yurtle will soon be gone. Seahorses. There are approximately 90 health and medical products containing seahorses being sold in China and elsewhere. As is often the case, the seahorses are being used for, among other things, an aphrodisiac. It seems the bear is the only animal that's not used as an aphrodisiac. But I'll tell you, if your penis looks like a seahorse, you have more problems than eating this chicken of the sea will cure. To meet this demand, some 20 million seahorses are harvested each year. All die for no valid reasons, and seahorse stocks, like the Dow, are plummeting. Other animals that are consumed by traditional Chinese medicine include the slow loris, whose fur is believed to accelerate the healing of wounds. And get this, the extract from the eyeballs of the loris are turned into a love potion. The loris eyeball liquid. And with the loris gone, who will speak for the trees? You know, when you think about it, the Lorax really was a piss-poor spokesman for the truffle trees, since they really were reduced to a single seed, which is not much breeding stock. Also, the civet cat is used for its anal scent gland to induce abortions, as well as to treat arthritis, stimulating blood flow, and again, increasing libido. Now, I don't know about you, but an anal scent gland is probably not the best aphrodisiac for me, but everyone has their own turn-ons. As well, the Civet Cat is a key component in the Honda Civet and is used to increase gas mileage as a fuel additive. And, you know, what's with all these animal parts being used in aphrodisiac? Just what is wrong with the Chinese? Given the population of 1.3 billion people in the country, either they really do work or they have much less of a problem than they imagine. As mentioned above, it is not just the Chinese that use animal parts for medicinal purposes, but the effects are best documented due to the large population and economic clout that allows the trade in medical animal parts to flourish. India, Brazil, and Sudan are a few of the countries with documented use of local plants and animals for medicinal purposes that are leading to an adverse effect on the ecosystems. The only one that has good data, such as it is, is Brazil, sometimes pronounced Brazil, where about 30% of the species are under extinction risk in part due to use for medications. The money is so good in the trade of animals for worthless medications that at one point the director of the Berlin Zoo was selling extra tigers to the Chinese for medicinal use. If only dogs and cats had a medicinal use. Sigh. But then I can dream. Plants have it worse than animals, feeding the voracious appetite for TCM. Over 400 plants are at risk for extinction from medical use, as 5 billion people use plants as the basis of their medical care, not all of them in TCM. Examples include, but are obviously not limited to, the magnolia, 
Half of the world's magnolia species are under threat of extinction because it contains a chemical that's been used in traditional Chinese medicine to treat cancers and to slow down the onset of heart disease. Both processes with similar pathophysiology, and so similar treatment. Not. Manchurian ginseng. I can't remember what ginseng is commonly used for. It's on the tip of my tongue. Uh. Anyway, it's also used to treat cancer, COPD, diabetes, fatigue, increasing libido, not to treat increasing libido, but if your libido is down, to increase it. Ginseng has all but been eradicated in China and Korea. As a result, it is harvested in the U.S. and sent to China. Wild ginseng is thought to have better medicinal properties than farm-raised. So the harvest of wild ginseng continues in the U.S., threatening species here with extinction as well. The old natural fallacy at work. Natural is better than synthetic or farm-raised to the detriment of natural plants and animal population. Licorice. I don't much care for licorice. I think licorice is nasty. My brother always used to eat blackjack gum in the car and make me nauseous or nauseated or both or neither. Anyway, licorice root is an Asian plant species commonly used for pain relief and to treat cough, skin infections, and food and drug poisoning. Not evidently to increase libido as who would want to kiss anybody whose breath smelled like licorice. Licorice is almost wiped out in China Largely thanks to the Chinese army, whose soldiers make pocket money digging up the plant while on duty in the country's northern border, which is caused by some the licorice zone. Due to excessive harvesting and habitat destruction, licorice root is now grown in less than half its previous area, reduced from 50,000 square miles to about 19,000 square miles. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Maybe the iceberg lettuce. You know, we do need a new metaphor for a warmer future. As 1,581 species of animals are used as medicinal resources, 1,306 terrestrial animals and 275 marine animals, as well as 11,146 plants. One of the complaints about natural herbal medications is that there is uncertainty as to what the concentration of the active products, if any, are. It is argued that a superior way to treat the disease is to isolate the active ingredient and then synthesize it. Herbalists of all stripe reply that one needs the complex formulation of the natural product for efficacy. No natural herbal product I am aware of is superior to the synthesized pure product, and none of the synthesized product leads to plant or animal extinction. We are, according to some in the beginning of a mass extinction of animal and plant species for a variety of reasons. That we are wiping out ginseng and tigers and bears for the myth that they can cure and treat disease, that these plants and animals are dying because of magic, is evil. Some Chinese practitioners object to the interference and criticism of their practice, feeling it is racist for the West to put limits on Eastern practices that we do not understand. Quote, In addition... We would like to point out that recent campaigns against the use of some of our medical resources, for example, tiger bones, bear bile, and rhino horns, have led to a negative stereotyping of our practice. Yeah, there's a positive stereotype to wiping out animal species. As part of a scheme in recent history to cast the Chinese herbalist as the other, their use of animal material medica has been exploited in the past to devalue the yao they use, and in the process... 
devalue and delegitimize their medical practice, end quote. Special pleading to allow the pointless extinction and torture of animals for worthless medical therapies. There is also a movement to make traditional Chinese medicine sustainable by using alternative worthless products instead of endangered medical worthless products. Some argue that the bear bile farms are helping prevent the bears from being hunted to extinction, sort of a greening of TCM. Traditional Chinese medicine is the hummer of the alt-med world. Trying to sustain the irrational and sustain the worthless is itself irrational and worthless. Maybe it will be an unexpected byproduct of the adoption of science-based medicine that rhinos and tigers and bears could be saved from TCM-induced extinction. Perhaps the rational use of science will make TCM therapies go the way of acupuncture. Not a good choice. Now, which traditional Chinese medicine has gone away under science-based medicine? <sighs> anyway, one would hope that if science could demonstrate that the therapies are worthless and that there are synthetic alternatives, perhaps this march towards oblivion would be halted. It's been pointed out that the Pacific yew tree has been found to have Taxol, a potent anti-cancer medication. Rather than doing a once-ler on the forests, modern medicine isolated, purified, and synthesized the Taxol. The trees remain untouched. The cancer is treated. A win-win. Did the TCM folks have a similar success story? Or really, does any scam... Or do they all they have to offer is the endless extinction of plants and animals? The one good thing about these preparations is that while the animals are being indeed hunted into extinction, most of the products that purport to have various animal parts in them probably do not. The nice thing about nutraceuticals, as they're called, especially those made outside the U.S., is that they do not contain the products that are on the label, and they also contain products that are not on the label. Chinese, Indian, and other supplements made outside of the U.S. have little or no quality control, so you never really know what is in the products you buy. In the U.S., there are some production standards, although no standards for efficacy, in the herbal concoctions that you purchase. They do not have to show that they work, that they are effective, just that they are not filled with fecal matter. With the exception, of course, of probiotics. Now, I do not have a reference for this because they were from poster displays that I saw years ago at the National Infectious Disease Meetings, back before I started the QuackCast, back when I had an onion on my belt and nickels had bees on them, as was the style of the day. And I was trying to get to Shelbyville, but it was not called Shelbyville then. But I remember one poster, yes, I remember, where they compared the contents of a probiotic pill with what was on the label and what was isolated in culture. And sometimes they grew in the lab things that were not on the label. And there was another study, yes, I remember it, that demonstrated that it was not uncommon for the contents of probiotic pills to be dead. Yeah, I remember. Like I say, I don't have references for that, but I do remember the, the poster sessions. Now, the rest of what I'm going to say does have references to be found on the website. The Herbalife products, for example, have been contaminated with Bacillus subtilis, leading to liver failure. But this is no surprise given the vulnerability of our food supply for contamination. When tested, herbal products have been found to contain not only bacteria, but antibiotic-resistant bacteria. But that's nothing. 
because the magic of Chinese and Indian nutraceutical products often come from their contaminants and adulterants. We have just had this issue in the United States of all sorts of products from China being contaminated with melamine. There was a recent JAMA article that had a brouhaha when it was reported that one-fifth, that's one out of five, of both U.S. manufactured and Indian manufactured Ayurvedic medications purchased on the Internet contain detectable lead, mercury, and arsenic. Hope they were not being used in lieu of vaccination to avoid autism. But the contamination of Chinese and other herbal product with all sorts of noxious materials is a long-standing issue. Heavy metal poisoning is as common in herbal preparations as a slacker teenager's record collection. These are the things that have been found in Chinese preparations. Lead, mercury, foreign matter, mycotoxins, pesticides, insecticides, arsenic, bacteria have been found whenever Chinese and Indian herbal products are evaluated. The levels are often greater than what is considered safe, and some, like arsenic and lead, have been associated with clinically relevant poisonings. South African nutraceutical products have been contaminated with uranium, which I only mentioned for the opportunity to mispronounce nuclear or nuclear or nuclear or nuclear, whatever. The other issue is efficacy. Some people find that herbal preparations are effective. Do you know why? Because sometimes they put real drugs in herbal preparations. As an example, 22 dietary weight loss supplements were evaluated and 11 samples were adulterated with weight loss drugs that I cannot pronounce. Other weight loss products are adulterated with thyroid, not mentioned on the label, which did lead to weight loss but also gave the patient thyrotoxicosis. Best of all, one weight loss nutraceutical product was contaminated with amphetamines, which showed up in a urine tox screen. Don't take these products if you are going to get on-the-job testing or participate in sports. Uh, yeah, there's meth in my urine. Um, that's the um, Chinese herb. Yeah, the Chinese herb. That's the tickets. And some Chinese products have contained steroids. Now, Barry Bonds has always denied steroid use. Perhaps it was the Chinese herbal remedies. One study, quote, 90 representative samples randomly purchased in the form of pills, tablets, creams, and teas were screened by appropriate analytic techniques. Five samples contained nine different Western pharmaceuticals. Two of the samples contained undeclared or mislabeled substances. One sample contained two pharmaceuticals contraindicated in people for whom the product was in intended. Drugs identified include promethazine, chlormethazole, chlorophenamine, diclofenac, that's a non-steroidal, chlorodizase epoxide, I can't pronounce any of these, and I'm a doctor, hydrochlorothiazide, triamterine, and diphenhydramine, and sildenafil, a.k.a. Viagra. Maybe Insight really works, as one study found Viagra and related medications in natural and herbal erectile dysfunction products. I could not find if rhino horn product has ever been found to contain Viagra. But just remember, if you're going to be taking a natural medication because Viagra might kill you because you're on nitro, you may not be avoiding those products. 
Phenylbutazone, a potent anti-inflammatory not approved for humans, has been found in Chinese medications with the resultant wipeout of the patient's bone marrow. Does it make a difference? Maybe. One study found an association between taking Chinese herbs during pregnancy and congenital malformations, but they couldn't tell you whether it was the herb or contaminations in the herbs. And curiously, there's an association between the risk of bladder cancer and genital urinary cancer and being a Chinese herbalist, presumptively from sampling their products. You may dismiss this as evidence that the products may be dangerous. If so, you would probably not worry if those who worked at nuclear power plants came down with more cancers either. The widespread potential for contamination also puts the results of clinical trials that show efficacy of herbs in doubt. Maybe the alleged efficacy of Chinese herbal products is actually due to adulterations with real medications. As a review in the American Journal of Medicine pointed out, it is rare for published trials on herbs or herbs to check out the purity of their products. I shall now quote the article. Quote, Documented characterization of herbal supplements in published randomized controlled trials is inadequate. Investigators may be unaware of the extent to which herbal quality control issues may detract from the value of otherwise well-designed clinical trials. The scientific and clinical utility of future herbal randomized control trials would be enhanced if authors provided evidence that the herbal products studied were of high quality. In other words, it may be giving you crap. If you PubMed contamination and herbs, you will get over 365 references. So I'm not going to review all of them. I have cherry-picked, um, I mean, given representative examples of the quality one finds in herbal preparation. One never knows how widespread the contamination is. These products are not routinely tested, nor are the manufacturing plants checked for safety, as the U.S. plants are, that have made peanut butter the safest food Americans can eat. Ugh, God, another bad example. It appears that whenever these products are evaluated, however, they find significant rates of contamination or adulteration. And this puts clinical trials on the efficacy of all herbal products in doubt. It may be that taking herbal products is like dining in a radioactive garbage dump. I bet it's safe to say, however, that if you're taking these products, that the poisons just keep on coming. I wonder, in passing... How many kids whose parents blame metal contamination for their kids' autism have them on various and sundry herbs that are potentially far more contaminated than vaccines ever could be? And I would bet that them what don't eat a Twinkie or other processed foods because of the chemicals would have no issue ingesting, and this whole podcast is sometimes ingest, unregulated nutraceuticals with far more chemicals than a Twinkie. I mentioned this last one for my own amusement as others don't seem to find it quite as interesting as I do. Water, of course, is an increasingly precious resource in the world and will become more so as the glaciers melt that provide water to large numbers of people disappear with the glaciers. I have read that future wars in the Mideast are going to be over water, not oil. Now, it may take a lot of water to make a homeopathic concoction. I'm going to quote from the Australian Council Against Healthcare Fraud. Quote, homeopathic vaccines, a little 
bottle of water contains what the label describes as a homeopathic vaccine against meningococcal disease. As if that lie is not enough, the label also contains a claim that puts the product in breach of consumer protection and trade fading laws. Trade fading? That's fair trading laws. It says that this preparation is 200C. But if that is the case, then the manufacture of the single bottle would have involved 800 manufacturing steps, excluding packaging, that would have produced 495 liters of wastewater. To produce a single year's worth of vaccine doses would require 73% of the water needed to produce all the Coca-Cola consumed in Australia in a year. And I guess they drink a lot of Coca-Cola in Australia. I'm a diuretic guy myself. This would be the equivalent of taking a 50-minute shower with a low-flow shower head for each 200C vial of worthless homeopathic product. That is a lot of wasted water. Now, it has been suggested by others that, given the vast quantities of water needed to make homeopathic concoctions, perhaps they are not really making the preparations with the dilutions they say they are. Who knows? I sent a letter to one of the European homeopathic companies, Boiron, B-O-I-R-O-N, asking them how much water they used every year. They said they couldn't tell me because it was FDA regulated. So much for transparency. But I still wonder how much water they use to make up all the homeopathic preparations that they make. Plus, they have to rinse out the containers and pour it down the sink, which dilutes it more, making it stronger. I found this very scary report in the March 11th Skeptico, unquote. In the course of a five-month inquiry, our teams tested the drinking water supplies of 24 major metropolitan areas for numerous homeopathic remedies, including arsenic, belladonna, calicarbonicum, I think she was an actress, and aurum metallicum. Despite multiple testing scenarios and despite using the most advanced and sensitive equipment available, we were not able to find even one molecule of homeopathic remedies in any tap water samples we examined. This means that the water we tested containing zero molecules of, for example, arsenic, would be at the maximum strength possible. Homeopaths believe this could present real risk to the American public who could be unknowingly consuming many different powerful homeopathic drugs in their morning tea or coffee. Now, end quote. Many have mentioned to me that wasting water is the least of the problems associated with the silliness that is homeopathy, but perhaps it is their greatest vulnerability. It is, of course, one of them dare moral ethical questions as to where your responsibility ends. We recycle in part because there is a sense that we are responsible for our garbage even after we have thrown it away. A similar sense of responsibility is lacking for our carbon footprint, but is growing. I am old enough to remember what were perhaps more politically active times when one did not eat California grapes or Nestle's chocolate because to do so was to support companies that were evil. In part, I have accepted nothing, not even a piece of pizza from a drug company in over 25 years because half the drug's costs go to support advertising. I think my patients should not have to subsidize the cost of my free pizza 
and I do not think it is ethical for my patients to pay more for medications so I can get a free pen or other trash to add to the landfill. Everybody will draw the line as to where their responsibility ends at a different place. The bumper sticker reads, Think globally, act locally. Want to help rhinos and tigers and bears? Don't support the practices that are driving them to extinction. Support your local traditional Chinese practitioner, and you may be inadvertently, or perhaps advertently, is that a word? Supporting the extinction of numerous animal and plant species. Irony abounds when natural products are taken by people who I would generalize are most interested in preventing environmental damage. The harm of Wu can extend far beyond the damage we do to ourselves and to others. It can lead to extinction. As Clint said, it's a hell of a thing to kill a species. It ain't the vaccines that need greening. It's alternative medicine. So that's it. This is the end of QuackCast 31. Brought to you as a side project of Pusware.com, where you will find the Persiflazer's Puscast, a bi-weekly review of infectious diseases, where you can even get free type 1 CME. This is copyright 2009, under the Creative Commons. References can be found on the show notes and linked at QuackCast.com, as well as all the other QuackCasts. Send your hate mail to knowitall at QuackCast.com, and the odds that I'll answer it are practically nil. Feedback would be great as long as it's positive. My ego needs endless feeding. And to do that, go to iTunes and write me a six-star review. Yes, a six-star. If you think Zafa Beeblebrox had an ego, you don't know me. Now, because the world needs more Mark Chrislop, not only do I have a puscast, I participate in the Science-Based Medicine blog about twice a month, and we're going to be having, we, huh, Steve Novella is putting on a conference at which I will be a speaker at the Science-Based Medicine blog in Las Vegas, just preceding the amazing meeting in July. I'm going to be talking on Lyme disease. Also, read my blog, Rubor Dolor Kalor Tumor, a blog about infectious diseases with occasional rat holes. The music is by my son when he was 12, improvising on the guitar. And now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go drink some tiger bone tea. Thanks for listening. Bon appetit. Bye. Bye.